intrigued by your mind I'm intrigued by your looks I'm intrigued and beguiled I got and read all your books Welcome to a new episode of Mind the Future. On this show, I talk to fascinating guests from the worlds of art, science, and technology about the future of what they love and do. If you haven't subscribed yet or shared with a friend, consider this your official invitation. My guest today is Jeff Gomez, CEO of Starlight Runner and leading expert in the fields of brand narrative, story world development, creative franchise design, and transmedia storytelling. He has been involved in developing the story worlds of films, TV shows, video games, toys, books, comics, apps, virtual reality projects, and even theme park attractions. His work has impacted blockbuster properties such as Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean, James Cameron's Avatar, Hasbro's Transformers, Sony Pictures' Spider-Man and Men in Black, Microsoft's Halo, and Nickelodeon's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Jeff has also developed highly successful transmedia campaigns and participative brand narratives for Coca-Cola, Pepperidge Farm, and Spartan Race. Other current clients include Electronic Arts, Sesame Workshop, Disney Parks and Resorts, and World Vision Canada. Further, Jeff's transmedia methods have also been applied to educational and geopolitical causes, accelerating positive self-organized social movements and increasing resistance to crime, violence, and corruption. Jeff has helped optimize communications for large NGOs and address crises in Mexico, Colombia, Australia, and the Middle East, North Africa region. In this episode, we talk about the evolution of transmedia, the use of audio and storytelling, the emergence of virtual production, trans and immersive storytelling, and much more. We've got an interesting conversation ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Jeff, and welcome to Mind the Future. You've really been a pioneer in transmedia storytelling, and you've worked on some huge projects. So for those listening who are unfamiliar with the term transmedia, how would you define that in sort of a few words, and how did it get started in the first place? Sure. Uh, Well, transmedia, when you use that word all by itself, it basically means that uh, that that the narrative, the communication uh, that's being made, transcends uh, individual media platforms uh, and is distributed across a number of media platforms in different ways. So, uh, transmedia is a kind of cross-media communication. Uh, you'll remember. Uh, that that we saw a big burst of of cross media or cross platform with the rise of um, a cable television. Uh, you were able to watch network television. Uh, sometimes you could watch reruns of television shows on cable TV. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, or or uh, read about them or hear about them on on other media platforms, and that tended to be repetitive. Um, uh, the content just simply was transposed from one media platform to the next. Uh, transmedia uh, crosses multiple media platforms, but in such a way that each uh, iteration of, of the narrative uh, is different um, uh, uh, substantially. So um, uh, you can uh, create a, a movie, 
but the, um, uh, uh, the, the novel might be a prequel or a sequel, um, uh, or the video game might be a vast expansion of, uh, you know, a portion of the movie. Um, uh, so uh, it, 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 I, I kind of predicted that uh, uh, we would need transmedia storytelling with the advent of the internet and the fact that um, uh, uh, people who were generating uh, uh, stories were, were going to have to do something clever in order to hold on to people's interest. <laughs> right. We'd get tired of watching the same thing over and over again when we had access to so much variety um, uh, and, and so much uh, content. Um, so transmedia storytelling is a kind of creative de uh, um, uh, design sensibility to create a story that operates differently across different media. And, you know, I was going to ask you about an example of, of a really strong piece of uh, transmedia, but perhaps um, a good way to kind of look at it is, well, how did, you know, what was your first experience with it? How did you get started in that type of storytelling? And was there a particular campaign or, or piece of transmedia storytelling that you're, that you're really proud of in sort of the early days of it? Well, sure. Um, uh, when I was very young, I became enchanted with uh, a, a type of, of communication that we now look back on and, and call Japanese media mix. Um, it was a, a, a situation where um, uh, in, in Japan, after the uh, Second World War, um, uh, in order to incentivize cooperation between different companies, um, a philosophy was devised called kiretsu, uh, this notion of the ability to share intellectual property in between um, uh, different companies uh, with, without uh, uh, too much legal friction. So uh, a comic strip or a manga in, in Japan could be uh, readily adapted as a uh, animated television series. And um, uh, a feature film company could come along and take that animated uh, TV series and turn it into a feature film. And what was fascinating about that was that it wasn't the same story repeated over and over again. There were uh, interesting variations or prequels or sequels or, or uh, the universe of, of the narrative would expand and we'd follow spin-off characters into other movies or, or TV shows. And so there, these story worlds, these universes would start to get uh, uh, built. And I was just completely swept away uh, by that kind of storytelling in the 60s and 70s. Um, uh, um, Hollywood <laughs> did not do that very well. <laughs> um, it, it tended to repeat the same story over and over again, or um, uh, just make it silly, right? So you took the Planet of the Apes uh, franchise, the movie franchise, and you turned it into a kiddie TV series where there were dinosaurs on the Planet of the Apes and uh, all, all kinds of things that kind of broke the rules of the movies. Um, and that was disappointing. So I gravitated to, to this media mix notion and, and just waited uh, until America could start uh, uh, telling stories this way. I mean, I would argue that 
that still happens just slightly differently. It's just the remake world these days, right? <laughs> Taking the same story and just remaking it five times. Absolutely. You are, you are right. Um, uh, we are though blessed with, with some of the coolest uh, uh, transmedia narratives in, in, the, in all of popular culture because of projects like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. Well, how has the transmedia world evolved since you've been working on it? In it, is there you know, techno both in terms of the technology that's available to you, perhaps uh, an increased amount of storytelling, and and the ways in which it's it, it's done. Well, um, excuse me for just a sec. <coughs> I started to get excited uh, about the possibilities in transmedia when I was enjoying, uh, as a fan, uh, a Star Wars and, and Star Trek in the uh, late 70s and, and early 1980s. Um, uh, the, the problem that I had with Star Trek novels or Star Wars novels is that it was widely acknowledged by the movie studios that... Uh, um, uh, those those stories, the ones in the novels or the comic books, were not canon, right? They were not canonical. Uh, they weren't official additions to the, uh, uh, the the narrative, the super narrative of these fictional universes. And that always got me down. I didn't want to read a Star Wars story that didn't actually take place. <laughs> you know, um, if I wanted fan fiction. Uh, there was I, I had plenty of access to that. I could go to a comic book convention and buy fan fiction. Um, uh, so um, uh, I decided to try and start uh, uh, doing a little of that stuff myself in the 1990s and um, uh, almost surreptitiously as a comic book editor and video game producer, um, I would uh, a, a kind of create ancillary pieces of content in the early uh, web or, or with comic books and video games and interlock those narratives just for my own amusement initially. But the fans uh, instantly responded uh, uh, to the interconnectivity of those uh, stories uh, across those different media platforms. And, um, and the response was almost overwhelming. Uh, the, the, those projects were, were super, super big hits. Um, and this was the early 1990s. This was even before you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer or some of these other uh, uh, kind of proto-transmedia efforts. Well, and, and, and it seems to be quite popular as something to do with these big, you know, franchises or, you know, comic book movies, Marvel. Um, do, have you seen it translate at all to smaller projects in, in interesting ways? Or is it, you know, best done as a, an, a, a companion to, you know, a comic book movie or superhero movie? <laughs> well, um, uh, remember that um, in those 1990s, uh, my efforts were, were indeed, you know, on the down low. Um, uh, you know, yes, I was being given money to uh, produce a video game for Magic the Gathering or Turok Dinosaur Hunter for the Nintendo 64. Uh, uh, but... Uh, there was no extra money <laughs> or very little for the website or, or the, um, you know, the comic book uh, uh, tie-in uh, a story and, and so forth. So 
Um, I was doing this for, you know, a few hundred bucks here, a couple of thousand dollars there, um, uh, and making um, uh, transmedia extensions to the core platform, which was the video game in this, in this particular case. And, um, and that stuff was really successful. I've seen uh, uh, lots of uh, 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 great uh, multi-platform or transmedia implementations since then. That started as things like uh, uh, YouTube uh, uh, videos or or web-based uh, comics. Uh, some started that way and then expanded to things like novels or or even uh, a TV series and feature films. Right. Well, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about the use of audio and st- storytelling, especially you know, these immersive audioscapes. I remember um, there's a video that I came across where the audio was done in such a way that I felt like, you know, that complete 360 immersion. And I thought that was an incredible experience. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit from you and how the audio and storytelling is evolving and being used in these new and innovative ways. Uh, well, from a personal standpoint, um, uh, audio was always so important to me. Um, uh, my childhood was um, uh, one where I was isolated a lot. Um, you know, my room was my my transmedia universe, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, and so uh, music and um, uh, uh, radio was really important to me, and um, and often. Um, uh, I would find these these radio shows. Some of them were talk shows, but others were like adaptations of uh, Tolkien's Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings or even uh, uh, The Empire Strikes Back. And um, and it was astounding how vividly I saw these worlds as these narratives unfolded on the radio. I never forgot that. And there was, you know, no, no matter how spectacular the special effects are in movies uh, or these streaming uh, uh, series the the r- realism and vividness of of the imagination and the visceral uh, uh, feeling of of the the presence of audio uh, I, I've never uh, quite uh, shaken that um, so uh, as um, as podcasting uh, Rose and and things like uh, audiobooks. I've been paying attention to that because um, uh, I, I feel that there is uh, you know quite a, a compelling aspect to to the medium, and um, and now we are starting to see the fruits of that as as podcasting becomes this multi billion dollar uh, uh, industry. Are there, you know, technologies that you've noticed emerging that treat audio in a different way than, you know, just, um, yeah, are there any sort of emerging technologies in that area that you've come across? We're just beginning to see uh, some amazing um, uh, technological breakthroughs. Uh, uh, First of all, the... um, you know, we, we, we haven't really cared uh, about uh, audio technology outside of the, um, you know, the movie theater <laughs> that much. And, um, and so uh, now a lot of work is being done uh, for personal audio uh, to create uh, these immersive 360-degree environments 
even more than 360 degrees, uh, th this, this notion of an audio globe uh, around us where uh, sound can come from uh, any direction and the ability for the technology to pinpoint the location of sound um, uh, so that if you're in the dark and, um, and you're listening to even an interview with your favorite uh, uh, rock star <laughs> and so forth, it could sound literally like they're sitting on the couch right across uh, the room from you. Um, uh, uh, conversely, um, you can be immersed completely in a space battle or um, uh, you're going to, to see a lot more audio that is what I call subjective, where, where we are inside the head of the character and, uh, and listening to their thoughts or, or um, uh, uh, being given access uh, uh, to their thought processes. Uh, I think that's just absolutely amazing. Also, um, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos stuck one of these little discs <laughs> into millions and millions of houses. Oh, They're not yeah. really doing much right now. <laughs> uh, but they just will. They're spying on you, that's all. <laughs> They're just spying on us, yeah. Um, uh, uh, soon, they will become responsive to us. So um, uh, we're going to have experiences that are, are dramatic that place us in the middle of the narrative where characters are talking to us and, and through a kind of AI uh, process, we'll be able to receive dialogue back from us. Um, we can have relationships, we can go on adventures. Um, uh, it, it's, it's a kind of, uh, uh, you know, role-playing uh, adventure that I think will open up the possibilities for uh, an entirely new entertainment platform. Yeah, I mean, it's already pretty uh, fascinating. You know, I was I was um, using Oculus Rift and just the physicality of being in a virtual space is, is really fascinating. You know, I was uh, I was exploring a piece of art and it wasn't even that vivid of a piece of art uh, or so realistic, but it was a tightrope and I was walking this tightrope and I was fully aware that I'm in a living room, that I'm not looking down and seeing, you know, the abyss and that I'm not in fact at a tightrope. And yet I had all the feelings of being on the tightrope. I was sweating. I had my heart kind of pounding. And I think there's something really interesting about that, as well as I keep saying, like, you know, with augmented reality, I, f I find that a really interesting and promising technology where, you know, maybe you're in a park and you get to have a, an orchestra playing to you, you know, combining sound and sight potentially. And so uh, you can you can take these experiences into real spaces that you enjoy, and I think that's that's something that's really exciting to me. It, it really is um, the the um, the advocacy that I've been giving to audio has been so strong because for augmented reality and virtual reality, we still need uh, some expensive equipment. And, um, and the experience is a, a little bit limited because we are using uh, either, you know, devices that we have to hold up uh, or things that we have to put over our, our heads and eyes. And, um, and so the, uh, the, the mass audience spread for, for that kind of entertainment is, has been a little bit painfully slow. 
whereas uh, whereas audio is is providing some of that uh, a, a pretty amazing subjective experience uh, far more rapidly. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense because I, I do feel like the hindrance is in the delivery mechanism uh, for uh, VR or AR because um, because it is you know you don't want to. I, I, I'm still hesitant to put on this headset because there's something about me that feels trapped within it. It doesn't feel like a natural extension or a sound would absolutely, you know, if I just put in a few headphones, that's great. There's um, an app. I didn't really use it much, but I like the idea of it. It's called Zombie Run. And so it's like if you're running, you feel like there's this immersive universe and you're running away from zombies. Um, I think if that was done in a way where the soundscape is, is much more sophisticated and, and there's other kinds of stories that you can put in, I think that could be a, an amazing experience to to have, especially if it's like truly like surround sound and and you don't know where each voice is coming from, like that experience. And it also like stimulates, I think, the imagination um, sometimes far more than just something that's visual because it gives your mind the opportunity to complete the picture. Right. Absolutely. Um, uh, I work. Uh, I consult for theme parks. Um, I work with uh, uh, Disney and uh, and, and other. Uh, kinds of themed installations and and um, uh, the uh, the vernacular they use uh, about uh, uh, you know VR and, and headgear and things like that is the barf effect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no one wants to clean up after uh, a a virtual experience gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, do you think you know that we we would see more senses involved in our in our experiences with with you know film TV media, um, especially in the cinema? Because I'm just thinking about you know, um, honey, I shrank the children uh, in in you know when I was in Disneyland, right? And the, and the mice like running around and which seems very gimmicky and and it seems like a difficult thing to do in a way that isn't gimmicky but do you see a way that maybe sound sa smell could be incorporated in an entirely different way um, immersive physical experiences are uh, on the rise and um, and and this past year uh, completely froze uh, everyone's ability to to move uh, toward it, but it was rapidly moving to become its own multi-billion-dollar industry. These are uh, uh, themed experiences, immersive installations, uh, uh, situations where you are physically entering into an environment, and multiple media platforms are being used to stimulate your senses and. Um, uh, uh, place you through a kind of rite of passage, uh, an adventure. Um, uh, this is Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Um, uh, this is uh, um, the Wizarding World, the Harry Potter uh, theme park uh, at Universal. Um, there are smaller uh, themed experiences, um, you know, all over the country. Uh, and in China and in the Middle East, you're, this, this stuff is getting huge. Um, so, so that's a situation where, um, uh, you know, uh, projection mapping, uh, video sound, directional sound, um, where, where you're, you can hear something whisper in your ear, 
and and there's no real source uh, of the uh, of the sound because of the way that the technology operates. Um, uh, your ability to escape from rooms and figure out how to do things. These are all uh, fantastic, um, you know, new uh, types of, of physical experiences that, um, that are leveraging these technologies. Do you see smell as being part of it? Because, uh, you know, smell is such an emotional uh, thing. So if you're, I don't know, I'm just going to pick a movie like Lord of the Rings and you're watching Lord of the Rings and when you're out in the... Um, you know, out in the grass and in, in the landscape, in this mystical landscape, and you smell the grass, the freshness, and, and maybe there's a little bit of wind blowing um, in a way that, you know, can it be done in a way that's not going to feel like a gimmick, but a real experience? Well, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, um, I follow these, these sorts of things dating all the way back to smell-o-vision <laughs> on waters um, in a movie theater where you're scratching a card and wow. sniffing it depending on the scene. Um, the, the, the problem with those experiments uh, uh, traditionally, um, even uh, attempts made at very large uh, theme parks and themed experiences, is that uh, smell is deeply uh, subjective and it, it, it is triggering. Uh, so we all have to be careful with smell. Isn't that strange? Of all uh, the, the senses, um, uh, people respond extremely powerfully to smell. Wow. Uh, so um, it, it's, it's super tricky to get the, uh, the right balance and, and to to uh, in insert enough that's going to be effective, but not so much as to, you know, send someone screaming from the installation. <laughs> right. Wow. That, that's interesting. I guess that's why like people, uh, one person's favorite perfume is going to be another person's nightmare perfume exactly. um, must trigger something in the brain that just responds to it in such a huge way. Um, you know, when, one thing that seems to be emerging, especially with, you know, unfortunately, we're in the middle of a pandemic, um, virtual production seems to be a technology that has been tackling some of the issues of um, that filmmakers face. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, virtual production and what that means and if you think it's here to stay? Oh, it's not only here to stay, uh, Catherine. <laughs> it's um, it's supplanting um, a, a standard uh, modalities of, of production. It's it's strange. I've I've spoken with um, uh, with people who are you know who have over the past few years built uh, elaborate uh, and and technically technologically advanced production studios. And they talk to me about um, how they can connect with the studios to get some movies uh, uh, produced down there. And uh, the answer is, well, do, do you have these virtual production capabilities? Um, and the answer is, well, no. <laughs> and, and I say, I can't help you. <laughs> um, one of the, the, the most uh, remarkable aspects uh, about virtual a production is this uh, a capability to project light against the walls of the studios uh, to emulate uh, backgrounds and and uh, landscapes and towns and you know all kinds of different settings and and um, and because of how uh, 
uh, amazing, um, uh, you know, detailed, um, how, how incredibly vast uh, these pixels, these number of pixels are, um, uh, you know, you, it looks absolutely real. Uh, but it's not just that it's like a super green screen. That is light that is being cast onto the set. So uh, if you're standing there, um, the, the light of your surroundings is being uh, uh, projected onto your face. It's as if you're outside or, or within whatever environment that you, you happen to be standing within uh, that's projected onto the walls. Um, uh, on top of all of that, uh, if you're wearing something reflective, it's going to reflect th that world. It just becomes so real. Um, uh, and that is a major uh, breakthrough, and it makes it easy to, um, uh, to want to, uh, uh, to do this sort of thing and, and produce this way. Um, uh, so they, they can't build these things fast enough, um, and they're building them all over the world. And I'll be honest, it does worry me, but as a, as a film purist and somebody who works in film who loves being on location so much, it, it just, uh, you know, and, and from an actor point of view, there is something, you know, very tangible about a world that's, that's real versus a, a projection, projection behind you. Um, and, and I guess the light that's coming in, it's so I think if it scares me a little bit and also for all the jurisdictions, like the, the locations that are used for filming, it feels like it could be sort of the death of, um, those, those spaces, these locations and, and the benefits that they draw from the film or TV industry. It, it is a, a, a little bit of a conundrum from that, uh, from that respect. Um, uh, you know, uh, it, on projects like The Mandalorian, we're seeing uh, really interesting uh, combinations of both. So there are sequences in The Mandalorian that are shot outside of, of those settings um, uh, in, in real locations, and they're pretty cool. Um, uh, so um, I like the idea that there is, uh, 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 at, at the very least, a combination of the two. Yeah. And I mean, it, it does uh, allow for an opportunity to take stories to locations that might otherwise be impossible because maybe there's too many humans there. You can't really shut it down. So it does allow for some interesting locations. I, I can definitely see the benefit of that. But I guess I also have all these concerns. But it, it does seem to be a technology that's that's here to stay in one one form or another. Um, do you think that immersive storytelling is going to be a dominating um, way of telling a story as opposed to just kind of when we're watching a screen, you know, we, it's like a flat image? Or do you, think, do you think our brains sort of connect better to that? Or do you see in the future we're really going to be involving all the senses in all the stories? Oh, I, I, um, I, I think it's going to be a while before we let uh, the, the lean back experience go. <laughs> we, we all could use a break. <laughs> I mean, even 2D um, animation is still something that people enjoy. So there is something about the simplicity of certain ways of telling stories that I think does appeal to humans in a way. Oh, and, and the uh, incredible 
um, you know, explosion of, of animation speaks directly to that. Uh, not only was it easy to produce over the past year, um, uh, you know, we had a, a generation of young people growing up uh, uh, to uh, enjoy uh, manga uh, and, um, and Japanese anime, uh, which were on the peripheral of popular culture. And now that they've matured, they've taken it with them. Uh, they, they don't grow out of it. They, they still want it. And, and so we have this incredible multi-billion dollar uh, anime uh, industry, uh, which I, I think is, is terrific because uh, the next step in uh, that kind of animation production is going to be uh, uh, international and uh, uh, multinational uh, co-productions. Uh, uh, so uh, we're, we're going to get to to tell stories with one another and, and create these kind of hybrid narratives uh, that are going to be appealing, I think, um, uh, globally um, and, uh, and, and, and bring you know, fresh perspectives to the medium. What trends are you seeing in um, transmedia storytelling, more specifically in terms of the technology that's being used? Well, um, uh, I, I think it's, it's fascinating uh, how streaming has accelerated, um, uh, you know, uh, o on its own as a kind of media uh, platform or medium, um, uh, but also as a storytelling mechanism. Um, uh, you know, since the, the dawn of motion pictures, um, the, the primacy of the feature film uh, has never been in dispute. Um, uh, we, we may have had a television explosion in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and, and so forth, uh, but there was never any doubt in the uh, minds of studio executives that feature films were the bomb, were, were where you uh, uh, focused your cash, your stars, um, and your best storytelling. Um, uh, the, the advent of streaming has um, uh, flipped that entire notion uh, virtually upside down. It's, it's really quite striking. Uh, entire uh, you know, uh, media companies are in the process of completely uh, reshuffling uh, uh, their executive staff, uh, but also the, their uh, integrated transmedia production process. Um, they actually have to think about an integrated transmedia production process. <laughs> that was something that really only the Walt Disney Company was thinking about. Now everyone has to think about it because uh, streaming has become uh, a major driver, but they don't want to abandon feature films and, and the, uh, uh, the, the whole um, uh, aspect of the, of the theatrical feature business. Um, this has made uh, streaming um, a, a driver of narrative, right? We're watching WandaVision. We're fascinated by The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian, a lot of Disney fans say that that stuff was better, uh, more compelling storytelling than these, this massively expensive trilogy of Star Wars movies um, that, that came out this century. Um, so, um, what you know? What what do we do? <laughs> um, uh, we're 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 refocusing um, now. Long form narrative is is taking uh, uh, precedent because it's leveraging this technology uh, that is now 
uh, in so many people's homes that people forgot how to use their input select remote control to get back <laughs> to network television. <laughs> I'm one of those people for sure. <laughs> well, my poor I TiVo is so lonely. My, my poor TiVo. <laughs> so sad. Um, too bad. But <laughs> I wonder, um, yeah, I guess I wonder if movies are going to still be, you know, movie theaters, obviously with the pandemic, there was, you know, a lot of, it's a big pain point. Um, and I think a lot of people do want to go back and have that communal experience on a rather large screen, but there's a part of me that wonders if that will at a certain point go away or at least be reserved for just very, very, very specific kinds of films. I think you're right. Um, uh, first of all, I think that the, uh, the, the movie theater experience in general uh, is going to have to, to self-examine. Um, uh, I, I do think that right now, um, uh, with uh, hundreds of billions of dollars being put into streaming, that that is a compelling reason for a lot of people to stay home. They're, yeah. they're paying for these services. They're getting premium, uh, top-flight uh, content. Uh, well, not all of it is great. <laughs> Even the really expensive stuff, I don't know. Uh, but um, a, a lot of it is pretty awesome and, and well done. So uh, what then drives us out of the uh, uh, house? Uh, you know, if we're uh, young adults, well, we, we'd like to be, you know, on our own on dates and, and things like that. And there's that social component to uh, theater going. Uh, but... Um, you know, I, I'm not sure what else. So, so they're going to have to uh, think about ways to make, uh, you know, theater going maybe a little more luxurious, a little more alluring, uh, a little more cost effective, and um, uh, and and think about um, other kinds of content that's going to go into uh, movie theaters. And I've I've been seeing. Uh, on the drawing boards, uh, a lot of really interesting technologies that can make the, the theatrical experience um, more compelling and, and uh, um, you know, more varied. What are some of those? Well, here's the, the notion of, of streaming, <laughs> yeah. um, right? Uh, it, you know, there are still uh, musical acts that are really awesome. Uh, and, and, and fairly rare, rarefied. They're not going to come to every town. Um, uh, you'll be able to go uh, to a movie theater and see um, a, 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 a pop music concert um, in, in such super high uh, a definition. It'll be like you're there. And um, uh, I've seen uh, interactive uh, uh, tools, components, that uh, it can, in a live situation, a live setting, allow for that pop star. Um, a Justin Bieber could say, hey, and then uh, call the name of your, your movie theater or you individually sitting on a seat in that movie theater and, and acknowledge you. Uh, the, the equivalent of, of pulling someone onto the stage uh, in, a, uh, uh, you know, in a live concert. Um, uh, that kind of uh, uh, technology and, and audio experiences that are like mind blowing, uh, that are better 
than if you were sitting uh, at, at Madison Square Garden or, or, or some uh, some big venue. I probably am going to sound so boring after I say this, but part of me was thinking about the educational experience and having, you know, some amazing lecturer <laughs> and filling the audit or the, you know, the, the theater and having that kind of experience where that person might be able to interact with that, with, with, you know, through the different technology and, and ask questions. Or, there was no doubt. No doubt that that is and uh, a possible and and is going to happen. Right. What do you think about um, the customized experience? And you touched on that a little bit, but I keep I think of that scene in Minority Report where um, Tom Cruise is wrongly identified as a as a female and and <laughs> is is being advertised the 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 <laughs> something very specific to the profile. Do you see? And I mean, there are definitely privacy issues around that, but do you see the custom side of it emerging more and more? Uh, well, uh, all I have to do is, is uh, remember the time that uh, my daughter wanted some mochi <laughs> and, and suddenly it shows up on my Instagram to know that we're, we're already on our way. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, uh, so, um, uh, so, of course, that's, uh, that, that's going to happen. Uh, what, what I like about um, uh, those possibilities are that, um, well, I'm, I'm dealing with, uh, right, right now, I'm, I'm uh, working with a company called Gameotics, and they have um, uh, an interactive uh, live theatrical experience uh, where uh, a play of sorts, a story, um, uh, is unfolding in front of uh, a number of people. Uh, it could be a thousand or more. And um, and at crucial points, uh, we're allowed to uh, to vote on on what needs to happen next. Um, uh, it's an interactive experience. We use our mobile phones, and we can see the uh, the numbers of people who are voting yes or no or or anything in between uh, are right there live on screen as we're watching the uh, uh, the uh, the play unfold. And, um, and that's all suspenseful and everything, but now they're coming up with these features that allow you to, um, to individually uh, be selected to make a decision that, uh, that can alter the course of the narrative. Um, and, and that's really dramatic. That's, um, uh, that's something that makes you feel incredibly validated for participating, uh, but also uh, uh, weighs on everybody else in the audience because they want you to pick the side that they want. Uh, and, and so forth, uh, uh, really, really interesting and highly personalized kinds of experiences are are emerging, uh, uh, you know, across multiple media platforms. Seems like there's some fantastic technologies and ideas and um, of how to implement it, and ultimately whether something takes off or not is really dependent on how well it kind of connects on a base level with a human being, with the humanity of someone, which is why I think some technologies that seemed really great and cool in practice were actually, you know, didn't quite um, reach market saturation in the way that people were excited about them. Just something about it didn't connect with humans, um, including that whole VR, you know, VR was, was, in the nineties on the cover of magazines and, and it just didn't quite make it until now. And even now I think it's not quite 
there, you know, it's working very well for gaming, but there's still something about having to put on um, a device in that in the physical element. So it seems like technology is only only does as well as it is able to connect with human beings. At the same time, you know, I'm not sure what what we could do otherwise. Um, you know, um, there's no question that VR is is going to be a powerful uh, medium. Uh, it just has to get smaller and smaller, and and, and you know, uh, be easier and easier uh, to to handle. And that takes these these multiple iterations. Um, uh, we're not there yet. Uh, but I'm not sure what other ways there could be to get there than to just iterate and reiterate. Right. No, absolutely. And maybe one day it's going to be a contact lens, and I think that will change everything. Um, what do you think storytelling is going to look like 10, 20, and even 50 years from now in your wildest imagination? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, uh, I'm convinced that the next phase um, uh, in storytelling is going to take uh, a shape in, in a couple of, of different ways. Uh, one is that uh, uh, transmedia storytelling, um, which, uh, y- you know, has been rarefied in terms of how deeply successful it can be. You know, we see it in Star Wars and uh, uh, Marvel. Um, so it seems like it's the purview of, of the Disney company. But really... Um, uh, it's it's not quite as magical in, in terms of, of how miraculously successful these properties are as people think. Um, uh, there's there's something uh, a kind of storytelling uh, that was popular in video games uh, called narrative design, uh, which is uh, uh, something that is being used currently on uh, the Marvel uh, universe and and in Star Wars. A narrative design, uh, you know, the, the writer was so lowly in, in video games that, that they couldn't even call them writers. You're a narrative designer, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're the person who uh, uh, examines the technology, <laughs> um, uh, understands the kind of environment that that's, uh, uh, can be built out of that te- technology, and all of these limitations <laughs> to the way uh, the story can be told, and thus you design a, um, a narrative that takes the character from one point to the other point to the other point um, and, uh, and, and has these encounters and keeps the action going, um, right? As, as uh, video games became more sophisticated, narrative designers uh, could allow for drama, uh, could allow for um, uh, uh, things that evoked emotion and, um, and yet still took into consideration the fact that the story had to stop in order for the player to to play um, and and keep things going. Um, uh, in in essence, filling in blanks that the storyteller had to leave in order for the uh, the, the character, the player character, to to take action. Now we're seeing uh, narrative design being used in these uh, a gigantic uh, a multi movie or movie, TV show, novel, podcast, comic book, uh, uh, sorts of things, where, where the um, uh, designer is looking at the big picture. Here's the universe. Here's how it's going to unfold over the course of, of these coming years. Here are the major events that need to take place. 
so the character has to move from this point to this point to this point in order for all this to make sense, right? Um, but um, uh, but the the writers of the screenplay will be playing the character, <laughs> mm. right? So it allows for the artistic contribution of writers and directors and you know uh, concept designers and all this sort of thing. But they are uh, uh, following a kind of super map uh, that the the narrative designer has has worked out and is necessary, or else everything stops making sense. It all contradicts itself. You get five different actors playing Batman <laughs> <laughs> um, in in different universes that don't you know connect to each other, and, and all, you know all that chaos is unleashed. Right. Right. A narrative designer. Uh, uh, kind of keeps all that in, into some kind of order um, so that the fan can fill in their own blanks. The fan is the participant in the story as well um, uh, because they, you need the fan to, to, in order to keep everything going, to keep the rent paid <laughs> and so forth. Sure. So that, that component is, is there as well. Uh, so that's narrative design. And then the, the other uh, component, which I see uh, both in the immediate future and in the distant future, is this notion of, of a collective journey narrative where uh, a storytelling uh, stops being specifically linear, where, where we are only following a single protagonist uh, uh, through a kind of uh, a, a classical structured odyssey uh, where they're you know, asserting their right on someone else's wrong um, and and it's only up to them to win the day and bring back the boon to the community. Um, uh, that's um, that's not working for us uh, as much anymore. I mean, our our brains are wired to appreciate those stories, but in real life, we're all living that story on social media, sure. and things aren't going well. <laughs> I'll agree with that. <laughs> Um, we're all asserting our rights on everybody else's wrongs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much so. And this could be disastrous, quite frankly. Um, uh, so uh, I'm uh, uh, seeing um, and hoping to see more of a, a, a kind of systemic storytelling where uh, uh, different characters um, uh, represent different perspectives. And, uh, and while there is conflict between all these perspectives, uh, it is not a binary conflict. It, it's a systemic conflict and that the resolution of those stories and, and I think the uh, uh, 5, 10, 20 years down the line, we're going to see a new generation of storytellers be very clever about resolving systemic narrative issues, uh, right? Game of Thrones almost stuck the landing, <laughs> Right. Um, uh, Westeros was a system uh, of, of civilizations. Um, there was, uh, you know, there was plenty of conflict because they, it was a rivalrous system, just like, well, ours. Um, right. But there was a, uh, you know, an environmental problem. You know, winter <laughs> was coming, right? That was it a was. deep flaw in the system. Uh, and no one was paying attention to it. They had dammed it away, right? They put up a wall. Ah, whatever's behind the wall, whatever. We're not going to uh, adhere to that. We're going to busy ourselves messing with each other 
in this Game of Thrones, <laughs> right? Um, but, you know, that can't hold forever. There's going to be a problem. You know, the system is flawed, and, and uh, that flaw is a self-terminating flaw. Um, if we don't do something about it, we're all wiped out. It doesn't matter whether you're rich and I'm poor or, you know, who's scrabbling for what. And, um, and so um, uh, what happened in the series is, uh, you know, uh, characters like Tyrion, but many other characters kind of eventually evolved to the point where they uh, uh, pretty much figured out how to deal with this terrible uh, problem and, and basically resolved it. The, the problems with the ending of Game of Thrones were more traditional, <laughs> had, had to do more with that, that standard hero's journey uh, uh, mentality, which we were, we were kind of bored with. Um, and, and uh, you know, it, it, it didn't, uh, it wasn't as deeply satisfying as we wanted to. But um, uh, be that as it may, this systemic narrative, uh, which I call collective journey, uh, is going to be a rising uh, modality of storytelling in the next uh, uh, several years, but even more so uh, in, in 10 or 20. That's a really interesting perspective. And, um, you know, one thing that we know about the future is that it is uncertain. <laughs> so in your role, how do you prepare for that uncertainty? <clears throat> this is actually, uh, Catherine, something I've been thinking a lot about. Um, uh, you know, uh, in, in the past, well, hmm, four years, <laughs> we have seen things that, you know, uh, those of a certain age, like we never thought we would see anything like it. Um, uh, it, it shocking, you know, un unprecedented. You kept hearing that over and over again uh, on TV and, and uh, on podcasts and, and, and so forth. Well, this has never happened before <laughs> and, and, and so forth. Um, you know, we just lived through a year's worth of science fiction, mm -hmm. you know. Um, who could have ever thought we didn't even, you know, know how to take it seriously uh, until people started dying in the thousands. So, um, uh, so we do have to be prepared um, and, and do have to think about uh, the, the unanticipated. And, and for me, uh, uh, Catherine, um, uh, so much of that has to do with the ability for us uh, to make space for one another, uh, to be able not to immediately assert our rightness on your wrongness, um, uh, but to, to stop for a minute and examine things so that uh, we can uh, understand and realize what's, what's actually going on. Uh, who is benefiting from these decisions? <laughs> you know, um, are these decisions based on facts? Um, and, and science and, and things that are, uh, you know, the best for the, the most of us. Um, we can't do that uh, without stopping uh, for a minute and, and thinking about uh, what those facts are and how to uh, uh, acknowledge and validate the emotions of the people that we're talking to. Um, uh, that's where we run into so much trouble, uh, uh, Catherine, the, the, uh, the, the fact that we just don't care uh, due to the anonymity of the Internet and the ability to self-publish instantly, 
we we stop considering uh, the the feelings of uh, the people who are on the receiving end of this, and that makes them angry, uh, and it causes them to want to hit back sometimes harder, and um, and and that gets us into a mess. Uh, so uh, the uh, ability to make space, uh, to listen carefully, to acknowledge people's emotions, uh, and and work toward discerning mutually what the facts are, uh, and then not only to solve the problem, but to reconcile with one another, uh, to acknowledge the hurt that we've inflicted on one another, and to genuinely, uh, you know, be apologetic about it and, and make it right. Because if we don't do that, even if we solve the problem, even if a different president is elected and we can all move on, uh, there is still the, this hurt, this deep woundedness that's not going away and has to be addressed. Well, it's interesting that you mention, you know, what are the facts? Because that is something that a, a psychologist would say to, to a patient. You know, if, if somebody has an emotional trigger, they would say, okay, what are the facts of the situation? And that often diffuses because a lot of the the emotions come from the stories that we tell ourselves. And, and those stories aren't necessarily true because we don't have the facts to back them up. And so when we take it down to that base level, it can really help diffuse. And, and like you said, not asserting. Sometimes it, being right isn't as important as, 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 as being able to listen or, or figure out solutions to move forward. And I think um, sometimes people care too much about being right or righteous over what is useful and what is useful is often not that. Um, and it, similarly, you know, learning from, you know, in terms of how we predict the future or prepare for the future, I, I think we have to really learn from the past and the present, right? So, um, and I think often people might not pay attention to that enough. So, and I hope that they do. <laughs> I agree. I agree. We have to be careful, uh, Catherine, because um, there is a concerted effort to unmoor us from the facts. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so it becomes enormously difficult for, for us to stop and, and decide, well, whose facts are the facts? <laughs> you know, news sources, uh, science, uh, all that sort of thing. When that stuff is damaged, uh, when, when we can't trust, um, uh, you know, fundamental institutions and, and, and even our own eyes, um, uh, then, um, uh, we're in jeopardy. The winter is coming, <laughs> you know, so, so we have to repair that and we, we need to do so quickly, uh, or we will face, uh, uh mounting crises. Yeah. And I think a really great question to ask oneself is, in my beliefs, are there any facts that can be presented to me that might allow me to change my point of view? And I think coming into any conversation with that in mind creates a much more open discourse and also means allows for the possibility of you being wrong. It doesn't mean you're going to, you know, discover that you are wrong, but it allows for that. It means that you have a certain openness and also you know, I think people are just so fast about vilifying others who do not think like them that it creates, um, it, it shuts down discourse, you know, and, and I think the openness of, of 
being able to talk to people who, with whom you disagree is, is crucial for us to have a better society and move forward and come to better understandings and ideas. Uh, I believe, Catherine, that there is a process um, uh, that I'm exploring to allow for that, uh, uh, to, to um, uh, uh, a, a path, a road uh, to be taken uh, from this uh, deeply polarized and angry uh, situation that we're all in uh, to, to get better. Not to go backwards, uh, you know, because there are a lot of people who say, well, I wish it was like it used to be. Right, you know, yeah. Everyone was, had shut up. <laughs> when when people had no voices um uh, you know um i i think the the way is the way forward is we have to get through this in, in order to uh resolve it well i'd be you know in a separate conversation I'd be very curious to learn more about what what your process and, and that you're developing is um because i would love that very much too but my last question to you which is one i ask uh, all the guests on my podcast, and it is, what are you most looking forward to about the future or to in the future? And it could be anything. It doesn't have to be within your field. It could be anything you can think of. Um, wow. <laughs> Just a little question. What am I most looking forward to? Um, uh, on, a, on a personal level, um, I'm um, I'm creating stories that are uh, being built on the foundation of this reconciliation narrative, this collective journey narrative. Um, uh, you know, uh, I'm I want to put my money where my mouth is and actually, um, uh, uh, you know, show people that you can do great storytelling without uh, falling back on the most simplistic model of, of hero's journey narrative that we're used to from Hollywood. Um, uh, so, um, uh, you know, every step that I take toward uh, realizing that is so fun and exciting and, and um, uh, you know, artistically satisfying. Um, in, in terms of the, uh, uh, the big picture, uh, I'm looking forward to a future where um, our inter interconnectivity is something that is uh, that becomes a major factor in um, uh, re relieving uh, a, a strife, conflict, uh, violence, um, anxiety, um, uh, where where our interconnectedness uh, allows for the spontaneous social self-organization of of people who are here. Uh, to to offer bounty, to offer plenty, um, uh, to offer us uh, uh, ways to uh, improve our lives individually and collectively. Um, uh, we're seeing little tiny examples of that all over the world uh, in, in how people uh, use social media and the internet uh, to, to, uh, to make each other's lives better. Um, I, I think... Um, uh, we're going to get back to that and, and expand upon it and um, uh, uh, shift ourselves out of this rivalrous um, uh, mentality where, where we become frightened and angry because we perceive of uh, uh, everything in, in, in the modality of scarcity. 
Um, there, there isn't scarcity, Catherine. This, 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 um, the, the world has plenty. Um, we're just not using it well. <laughs> right, right. And, um, and, and, and so our interconnectivity and our ability to tell one another good stories uh, will inspire us uh, to uh, approach life in a, a slightly different way. Well, speaking of social media, um, how do people find you who are interested in learning more about your work? Oh, sure thing. Um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm an easy Google. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Gomez. Um, and um, uh, follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore uh, Gomez. And uh, through LinkedIn, just look up Jeff Gomez. You'll find me. That's excellent. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. I love topics like that and talking to you. So thank you so much for being part of this. Absolutely, Catherine. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to the sequel. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs>